This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with the adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. It was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The show was popular on three big-time networks. It ran for 13 episodes on ABC in 1946, for 157 episodes on CBS from 1946 to 49, and finally, for 51 episodes on NBC in 1949 through to 1951. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Loreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie and took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or the uh, movie. Uh, The announcer was Dick Joy. And here is tonight's episode, entitled Wheel of Life. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Detective Agency. Are you still there? I believe that interpolation is hardly rhetorical, Mr. Spade. To what have you been up, if you'll pardon the expression? And has that girl regained her facilities? I, uh, wouldn't know, but her, uh, faculties are as good as ever, if you'll pardon the expression. Mr. Spade, sometimes I think you're a regular philanthropist. Don't you mean philanderer? How much money did you make out of that case? Well, I, uh, broke even, anyway. That's what I mean. You're a philanthropist. Well, you know best, Bernadine. By the way, was that man really murdered with the bus saw, or was that just publicity? He really was, Bernadine. Why? There just happened to be one lying around. Oh, I don't mean that. Why was he killed? For the wheel of life. Oh. You're not gonna ask what that is? Some curio, no doubt. Listen, Bernadine, the wheel of life is, uh... Oh, well. I suppose I don't have to tell you to stay where you are. Just sit quietly with your book in your hand, and I'll be right down to dictate my report on the Wheel of Life caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. I went down 
to St. James Infirmary to see my baby there. Ready, Bernadine, little flower? I'm way ahead of you. Keep it clean. No more than three erasures per page. Okie dokie. Oak. I mean doke. I mean date. Oh, I'd love to. July 11, 1948. To uh, Detective Lieutenant Dundee, homicide detail, San Francisco police. Subject, the uh, Wheel of Life caper. Now don't go away, Bernadine. I don't know why these things always have to happen to me. Under private detectives in the San Francisco Classified Directory, there are listed somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 agencies, several with large display ads. But somehow she managed to find me. It's all so strange, Mr. Spade. I hardly know where to begin. Well, the beginning is always a pretty good place to start, Miss O'Farrell. Yes, the beginning. It was like waking out of a nightmare you can't remember. Everything seemed out of proportion. Even the buildings along the street seemed to be leaning at a crazy angle. And then I realized I was traveling down a hill. I looked wildly around for something to help me get my bearings. And there was a street sign, O'Farrell, stuck in my mind. So I gave it to your secretary when she asked for my name. Uh-huh. And uh, what's your real name? I don't know. I don't know who I am, where I came from, or where I'm going. Mr. Spade, I'm so frightened. Uh, now, wait a minute. A lot of people suffer from uh, temporary loss of memory. Uh, most of them recover but amnesia is a sickness, and I am not a doctor. Oh, and you won't even try to help me? Well, I can give you the name of a good head doctor right here in the building. There's also uh, missing persons. Oh, but I'm not a missing person. I'm right here. Yeah, I mean, where you aren't, somebody might be missing you, Nespa. But the police! Oh, I'd rather not. I, I might be wanted for some crime. How do I know? You sure you want to find out? Oh, yes, I do. I do. It's terrible not knowing, but I want to find out for myself. Can't you understand that? What do you think I can do for you? You might save my life. From what? I'll try to tell you exactly how it happened. First, I looked at my watch. It was three minutes past ten. The cable car stopped at the corner and a man got on. I, I couldn't remember ever having seen him before, but then I couldn't remember anything. He sat down beside me and he caught hold of my arm. I tried to pull away. You can see the marks where he... Yeah. Well, who was he? He acted as if I were... I think I know what you mean. Did you uh, find out who he was? No, no, I was too frightened to speak. What did he say? He sort of growled it out of the side of his mouth, but it sounded as if he said, Lathrop wants to see you. Mm -hmm. You remember anybody named Lathrop? I can't remember anything before three minutes past ten this morning. Well, let's go on with since then. The guy grabbed you, said somebody named Lathrop wanted to see you, and then what? I, I went into a panic, I managed to jerk away from him, and I jumped off the moving car, and then I looked in the classified section, and I... Found you. Why me? I don't know. Name, I guess. A spade to dig up my past. Please, Miss O'Farrell. <laughs> Do you think I'm very silly? No, I think you're very beautiful. I wish you could remember whether you're married or not. Oh, no. Well, at least I have no wedding ring. Uh, what have you got? I mean, besides what's visible. Well, I couldn't find much of anything. I went over my clothing. There don't seem to be any, seem to be any marks of any kind. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you got any money? Well, a little over $300. Let's have it. The purse, too. All right. Uh-huh. Lipstick, aspirin, bobby pins, Kleenex. Uh, nothing here. They couldn't have been bought in any drugstore. <sighs> powder. <coughs> hey, what kind of powder is this? Uh, then there was this in my coat pocket. A match folder. Sailor's Rest Bar, Hotel Calcutta, 1100 Embarcadero. Little number written inside. 120. What's that, a room number? I don't know. My purse, you have to destroy it. Here's $10 of your own money. Buy a new one. 
Well. Did you find something? Coin, Chinese bit. Good luck piece, probably sewn in by whoever made it, maybe in China. That uh, ring any bells? No. No, I'm afraid not. Shoe. What? Your right shoe. Let's see it. Take it off. Uh, you aren't going to tear it up the way you did the purse, are you? Uh, dust. Plaster dust. Is that a clue? I don't know, is it? I'm not a detective. Well, you are in this case, baby. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything. Well, it doesn't. That's everything. What am I going to do? Well, let me see. First, we better give you a name. Oh, Farrell's all right. You look like, uh, uh, Lana would do, but, well, that's in use. Uh, how about, uh, Poppy for forgetfulness? Poppy O'Farrell. <laughs> that's a funny name. I think so. Uh, I think I like it. You do? I think I like you, too. <laughs> I liked her, too. There may have been blanks in her brain, but the rest of her figured. In the elevator, I started adding it up. And by the time we reached the street floor, it came to quite a tidy sum. Where are we going, Sam? Far, I hope. But uh, first, we're going to find you a place to stay. Oh, yes, we must be practical. No use overdoing it, huh? Oh, no, Sam, I didn't mean... <gasps> Wait. What's the matter? You remember something? That man, the one who followed me this morning, he's standing right out there waiting. The one in the straw hat leaning against the newsstand? Yes, where are you going, Sam? You stay here. I just remembered something I hoped I could forget. Hello, Shuggy. What brings you back to town? Do I know you? That doesn't matter. I know you. The name you were using when you blew this town was Shuggy Bellows. You wouldn't take the risk of showing your face here again unless the caper was worth it. You've got a big nose. Keep it clean. You've been tailing that girl all day. Why? Damn what damn? Who's Lathrop? I don't remember. Okay, I'll give you a chance to think it over. Hey, officer! You dirty hey, shamash yelling cop. No, no, you don't. Come hey, here. Here, nothing's go. going on here. Break it up. <laughs> oh, oh, Mr. Spade. Is this fella giving you trouble now? Yeah, what kind of a beat are you pounding here, Clancy? Letting a cheap grifter like this walk around with an armpit full of gun? Or are they handing out permits to characters like these this day? Uh, these well, days? now, uh, how about that, son? Uh, have you a permit now? And a goop, copper. Oh, so one of them clever lads he is. What? Come along, me bucko, before I lose me temper and give you your lumps now. Okay, I'm coming. That's better now. Uh, much obliged, Mr. Spade. I'll pay you for this, Thomas. And I goop to you, too. I was sure he would, but I was also sure that I wouldn't have to worry about him for the rest of the night. I checked Poppy O'Farrell in at the Belvedere, locked her in her room, and told Tiny Stover, the house dick, to keep an eye on her. When I left him, he was, and uh, he seemed to be enjoying his work. Then I headed for the Embarcadero. I found the Hotel Calcutta, but I couldn't find the lobby. There wasn't any. It had been squeezed out by the Sailor's Rest Bar. So I tried the bosun-type bartender. Howdy, mate. You got business aboard? Yeah, where do I find the purser? He went ashore. All the officers went ashore except the janitor. He's passed out in his bunk. Oh, how about the passengers? Uh, you're in the thick of them right now. They spend most of their time and their money right here. Uh, which one belongs to 120? You a dick? Yeah, but I got 10 bucks. Well, what I can tell you ain't worth it, but thanks anyway. He stayed in his cabin. I only saw him at once. That's when he went ashore. I says to the deck steward, that's room clerk to you, who's a general. He says, name of Coralenko. 
I noticed him because he was a real creep, see? Six foot four, a solid brass. His head stuck up in my ear, and he didn't move nothing from his stern to his shoulders. A real Frankenstein. Uh, do I keep a ten? Yeah. Do I get a look at his room? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Who's stopping you? So I went. Nobody stopped me until I opened the door to 120. Then I stopped myself. It was an inside room with one small window and an air shaft. But it looked as if a flurry of snow had blown in. The floor and the rest of the flat surfaces were sprinkled with a fine, dirty white powder. It wasn't snow, it was dust. Plaster dust. Like the stuff I'd found in Poppy's handbag and on his shoes. I shook the place down, not expecting to find anything. I didn't until I opened the wardrobe. It was the body of a well-dressed ship surgeon, but his uniform was rumpled, torn, and bloodstained. From the look of him, his throat had been cut. I wondered if Poppy would be able to jog her memory that far back. When I found the murder weapon, I hoped she couldn't. I really did. It was not a knife. It was not even a razor. It was an electric buzzsaw. That tore it. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. To the Wheel of Life Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Times being what they are, I could use a little publicity. And so could you, Lieutenant Dundee. What were the elections coming up? And you with no promotion all these years. This one time, I got it instead of you and wished I hadn't. The morning papers called it the buzzsaw murder and went on shamelessly from there. Horror killing related by private eye. Stan Slade, ex-Pinkerton man, mum on Mystery Woman. Elderly sleuth, dodges photographers, denies hotel visit, was in bed with Apple and good book, says Peeper. There wasn't a word of truth in it, mainly because nobody could get at the facts. I wasted most of the day down at headquarters trying to find out what name Shuggy Bellows had been booked under. Then I dropped in at the Belvedere. Poppy had checked out. I decided to go back to my office and drink poison. I hardly got the desk drawer open when a sobering influence walked in. It was a Mr. Six Feet Four of solid brass. The Frankenstein who had been described to me by the bartender as the occupant of room 120. Excuse me. I am Korlenko. Please, I shall sit down. I am so heavy. Make yourself at home. Oh. Mr. Swade. Uh, Slade. Uh, excuse me, I am so heavy. I, I am Korlenko. So you told me. I am really Spade myself. So, why are she hiding from me? Who? That girl, Miss Paget. Her, I am paying one month in advance, $300 American. Me, she have dessert. I am not rich, only moderately wealthy. But you understand, it's not question from money alone. That ship's doctor, he was most kind to me. He cared to me even after I arrived. 
Now he are dead for his pens, his dirty trick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know how you feel. Now, if you'll uh, take it a little easy, I think we'll get farther. You say this girl's name is uh, Paget, and she traveled with you. Uh, from Macarda, uh, where she is the Florence Nightingale for Portuguese hospitals, forcing me to employ her, all others being Chinese nuns. That figures. You were uh, sick? No, only I am so heavy, they are breaking my back in traffic accident, a rickshaw collusion. You're uh, wearing a plastic cast? Yes, like a turtle. I am close with my neck sticking out. Look, see? Now it is better as before. The ship's doctor trimmed the rough edges with buzz saw. Buzz, buzz, buzz. I can walk. But it's like suit from armor, for which I alive. Look. I looked again where he opened his shirt front, exposing the gray-white shell of plaster that surrounded his trunk from collarbone to hips. In a six-inch circle over the left side of his chest, I counted four bullet gouges. I dug one of the slugs out and examined it. It was 32 caliber. The plastic cast, which was molded to the shape of his body, was no more than an inch thick. I didn't see how it had stopped the slugs, but it had. About then, the parts of Korolenko that were not held rigid in the cast began to tremble violently. Why are they doing this? Why? To a virtually helpless man. Why, Mr. Spade? Why? 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 Uh, where did you have that cast put on? Don't I said Macau? The Portuguese hospital there? The same. They are hanging me up with the neck and plastering me. Comes a great pain, they put me to sleep from anesthetic. I, I are waking up in ambulance arriving at shipboard. Why you wish I should tell you my operation? More important things we should be discussing. Yeah, I think so, too. I think Miss Paget and her friends had something they wanted to smuggle out of Macau and into San Francisco, and you're it. Oh, excuse me. I, I am not comprehensible. Look, I mean, while you were out with the anesthetic, they uh, planted the goods, whatever they are, in or under your cast. Oh, oh, that is why I am so heavy. The wheel, the wheel. The what? The wheel. Look, i show you. He hauled a manila envelope out of his overcoat pocket and waved it on my face. I took it over to my desk and fished out the contents. It was a set of X-ray films. Three of his spine showing the fractures, four of the skull, three I couldn't figure out, and one of his rib cage, only something new had been added. In silhouette, it looked like the wheel off of a child's wagon. What is it, this wheel? What to do? What to do? Six months, I must remain in this straight jacket. If I remove it, I die. If I keep it on, it, they kill me to get their smuggled. Well, you look to me like the luckiest man alive. That wheel or whatever it is saved your life by stopping four slugs. But still, I shall die. How shall I die? When shall I die? Your best advices, please. Korolenko, I think you'd better die right now. Excuse me? It's the only safe place for you. The morgue. <laughs> I called my friend Maxie the morgue man, gave him pitch number 137596. He agreed to play along. An hour later, I stood on the curb, head bowed, hat in hand, as the morgue wagon drove away into the gathering mist. Stay facing away, uh. What do you want, Shuggy? I want to blast this gun straight through you, and I will if you give me any excuse at all. You sound like you mean that, Shuggy. You're getting smart, Shamus. Now get going. Where to? Mr. Lathrop wants to see you.
Shuggy, dear boy, you've not failed me this time. This will be the fabled Mr. Spade, eh? Come in, come in, come in. Ah, sit down, Mr. Spade. We'll talk. Tell your guns to get that pistol out of my ribs. Oh, yes, indeed, Sugar. You mustn't overdo it. And get him out of here. I'm tired and nervous, and my price goes up a thousand bucks every minute he's in this room. When I get to ten thousand, I kill him. Then the price jumps to a hundred to take care of me on a murder rap. I should ought to plug you downstairs. Come, come, Sugar. Don't be ungracious. You wait in the other room now. Okay, it's your party. I'll get mine later. <laughs> oh, dear. His bite's much worse than his bark, Mr. Spade. Don't start boring me so early in the evening. I came here to talk about the wheel. Oh, so you know about the wheel. I do better than that. I've got it. That may well be, but uh, do you know what to do with it? I got two possibilities. I can turn it over to the cops and you with it, or I can sit on it until it hatches. <laughs> A quaint conceit, sir. Round and round the little wheel goes, and where it shall stop, nobody knows. That's where you're wrong. It stops right here. So you better start placing your bets. Yeah, just what do you mean by that, sir? There's part of it. What is it? It's one of the slugs your gunsel threw at Korolenko. I got three more just like it that I dug out of him before he was carried to the morgue. Well, huh. an advantage, I'll admit. But uh, hardly worth your while to take advantage of. Don't be too sure of that. Just uh, how much do you know about the wheel? So far, it's been worth two human lives to you at the risk of your own. That tells me all I need to know. Oh, no, not quite. Men have been killed in holdups for a few paltry sovereigns, but the wheel... Oh, he's a horse of another color. Well, let's not change wheel horses in midstream, Mr. Lathrop. <laughs> yes. You must understand that the wheel has no absolute finitive value. Uh, monetarily speaking, the British Museum might pay close on to 5,000 pounds, hot as it is for the privilege of returning it. <laughs> Occidentals aren't the puka saibs that they once were in the Orient. The theft of the wheel, if countenanced by the Western powers, would have most grave consequences. Most grave. Uh, are you attending, sir? Wake me up when you get to the point. Ah, well, the point, sir, is this. That little wheel, that little wheel of gold, is the wheel of life, which the Buddha himself is said to have received into his hands from paradise. Now, given such a relic, a few old Buddhist monks can set up a shrine which, even in the most miserable surroundings, can attract enough pilgrims to outgross Radio City, Madison Square Garden, and Miami Beach in season. To say nothing of Hialeah. Uh, yes, quite. In short, we propose to act as booking agents for the wheel on a royalty basis with the percentage of the house. Why did you bring it to San Francisco? Good God, sir. Were we to bargain in the Orient, we should be hacked to pieces in our beds. I'll settle for a lump sum and let you do the bargaining. Uh, and uh, your price, sir? We can talk money later. First, got to give the cops somebody for the doctor's murder and for Korolenko. Uh-huh. Well, that ought not to be too difficult. Uh... When may I expect delivery? I'll check on it. I went out to St. James Infirmary. City morgue. Maxie, Sam Spade. Yeah, Sammy. Uh, deal's okay. Send it up. The address is... Sam, the... Sam, wait. Yeah? Sam, you ain't here no more. What happened? Somebody claimed him. A girl. Eh, yeah, said she's his daughter. What did he do? When I'm playing dead like you told him to. Maxie, where did she send him? Uh, Avalon Mortuary, corner Lynch and Haight. Okay, uh, uh, by the way... Uh, yes, Emmy? Uh, Maxie, put some clean sheets in that morgue wagon, size 16. I may be your next passenger. At the Avalon Mortuary, the night watchman let me in. He said Mr. Korolenko's daughter had brought an overnight bag and was keeping a vigil by his beer in slumber room number seven. I approached on tiptoe. 
just as I reached the door, I heard the most terrible sound I've ever heard. It was a buzzsaw biting into plaster. How deep, I didn't like to think. I did the first thing that popped into my head. I grabbed up a lamp from a console, smashed the bulb, and plunged it into a vase of flowers. As luck would have it, slumber room number seven was on the same fuse box. As luck would not have it, I was facing a desperate woman in the dark. I hugged the carpet while she emptied her gun. I hoped she didn't have a spare. I forgot about the buzzsaw. The room lighted up momentarily from the lights inside my head, and I staggered back against the wall. I waited for her to get her bearings again. There was no hope of me getting mine. Then I heard a big, hollow thud. The whole room shook, and the lights went on. Poppy O'Farrell and or Paget lay on the floor under the stony weight of Coralenko plus 60 pounds of plaster. Get up! Get up! You're crushing me! I can't. I'm so heavy. You, uh, you comfortable there, Coralenko? Comfortable in such situation? Do you ask the turtle, are he comfortable? Is Faker on bed of nails? Is equally here as elsewhere. Yeah, okay, okay. Just, just hold her there until I get a statement. And he did. Item, statement by the aforesaid. It was like waking out of a nightmare you can't remember. Everything seemed out of proportion. That was her story, and I had to admire the way she stuck to it. But if you keep trying, I'm sure she'll get back enough of her memory to confess that she planted the Wheel of Life in Korolenko's turtle shell when she decided to double-cross Shuggy and Lathrop. They never tumbled to her hiding place. They were gunning for Korolenko because they thought Poppy was working with him, which was true in a way, but not the way that they thought. That's why they tortured the doctor in an effort to learn Kay's whereabouts. I understand your boys have picked up the rest of the trio, and they can tell you everything except why I conceived the brilliant idea of having Korolenko play dead. Between you and me, uh, amnesia's a handy little gadget to have around, Dundee. I'm trying to draw a few strategic blanks myself. Period. End of report. Pardon me, Mr. Spade. Yes. There are just a few little coincidentals that I do not find entirely reprehensible. Such, uh, such as? Well, I don't want to appear lucid or anything of that type. Believe but... me, you doesn't. I mean, don't Oh, you say the sweetest things. Mm. Uh, but it's about the wheel. Oh, yes, the wheel. Well, I'll tell you what you do. You type that up. I've got to call in about that now. <laughs> I uh, certainly didn't. No, we won't know about that for six months. <laughs> because definitively, I mean definitely, that plaster cast has to stay on him. Doctor's orders, you know. Oh, but I won't be here six months from now. You can say that again. But I won't be here six months from now. Stop repeating yourself. But you just said you can say that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just as distinctly as if I was sitting here. Uh-huh, that's what I like about you, Bernadine. A, a woman of distinction, that's what you are. Well, if you want to take me dancing, why don't you just say so? Bernadine. It's leap year, and I always say discrimination is the better part of value. You are absolutely corrupt. Well, I'm glad I'm right about something. Good night, Mr. Spade. Good night, and I'll say if it kills me, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, 
with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spears' absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Polly. Get Wild Root right away. If you're thinking of volunteering for the U.S. Army or Air Force, here's a word of reassurance. As an Army and Air Force man, you'll become a skilled professional in a specialized field. The training you get will always be useful, not only in military, but in civilian life as well. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that husband and wife team, Jim and Marion Jordan, as Fibber McGee and Molly. Husband wife program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber, Donald Novis, The Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Liza. Here's an announcement of real importance to every housewife. Perhaps you are one of the many thousands who have resolved to start using Johnson's self-polishing glow coat or Johnson's wax on your floors this year at house cleaning time. Well, now, if that's the case, let me urge you to go right out tomorrow and see your dealer, for he is featuring special giant-sized cans of Johnson's wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat at the same price you usually pay for only one pound or one pint, and yet you get a pound and a third or a pint and a third. Now, these giant-sized cans are selling fast, so don't delay. When your dealer's special spring shipments are gone, there won't be any more. So avoid disappointment by going to the store first thing tomorrow morning and buying both Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat in the special money-saving giant-sized can. in a fine fever of expectation today, an attorney is telephoned for an appointment to discuss the will of Fibber's late uncle, Captain Ticonderoga McGee. And here at 79 Wistful Vista, awaiting the lawyer's arrival, we find Fibber, where there's a will, there's impatience, McGee! 
Ah, good old Uncle Tyke. I always was his favorite nephew. In spite of the time I tied the snake's head onto the garden hose and coiled it up on his bed. Aha, at last. Folks, I hope you'll always remember this moment as the last time you've seen me when I was just a poor boy. Goodbye, poverty. Come in, fortune. Mr. Uh, McGee? You betcha, bud. Are you the shyster, or the... the... <laughs> Are you the attorney that called me about Uncle Tyke's will? Yes, I am. I'm Mr. Ogden Padich of Padich, 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 Padich. Shut Padich. it off, bud. The needle is jumping a groove. <laughs> have a cigar, Mr. Padich? Uh, thank you. I have one. Oh, you got two? <laughs> Thanks. Now, let's get down to cases, bud. What did the old skinflint, or... Uh, what did dear old Uncle Tyke leave me? Well, aren't you a little impatient, McGee? Aren't you interested in the other uh, beneficiaries of the last will and testament of Captain Ticonderoga, McGee? Oh, shuck, sure I am, bud. <laughs> What'd my aunt get? Aunt Lulu, McGee. Uh, let me refer to my notes here. Ah, oh, yes, Lulu, McGee. Lulu, that's the one. Lulu inherited a braided horsehair watch fob, oh. a wood-burning outfit, a hand-painted hair receiver, and a shaving mug. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the mug had an inscription on it in gold leaf. That's all. Quote, you can do a lot more kissing if you strop and look and listen, unquote. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Uncle Tyke, all right. A flirt to the last. <laughs> they say he almost put his nurse's eye out trying to kiss her with a thermometer in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting character. Oh, yes, yes indeed. Now, would it be indelicate, bud, if I was to inquire how much moss the old Rolling Stone gathered for me? Ah, oh, yes. You, I believe, were the old gentleman's favorite nephew. What'd I tell you, folks? And in consideration of this fact, the will states, quote, And to my nephew Fibber, more familiarly known to his childhood playmates as Stinky... <laughs> Secure in the knowledge that he will bend every effort toward its upkeep and maintenance, for which funds are herewith provided, I bequeath my most cherished possession, my faithful ally in my travels about the world, now, what is it? my boat, the Billy Bee, unquote. Hot dog. A yacht. Oh, boy. A yacht and enough dough to keep it up. Wowie. It'll be turned over to you as soon as it's released by the executor. Boy. Congratulations and good luck. Well, thanks, bud. Ah, now for a life on the bouncing main. Now I can go to Australia and China and Siam. Whoopee! Sailing, sailing over the bounding main for many a storm. The whistleblower Jack comes home. Hello there, Johnny. <laughs> what you jumping around for? Spring fever or winter underwear? <laughs> Neither one, old timer. I was just dancing the sailor's hornpipe. I'm a yachtsman. Hey! <laughs> I say I'm off for a world cruise. I'd sign you on as a member of the, member of the crew, old-timer, but you ain't got enough of the old pepper to be a good salt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. <laughs> that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one feller says to the other feller, she says... <laughs> I see where some scientist has discovered a use for snake poison to relieve pain. Kind of even sings up, don't it? What you mean, asked t'other feller. Well, says the first feller, we used to use the painkiller to get the snakes, and now we use the snakes to get the painkiller. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you got to take a boat trip, eh, Johnny? Yep. Well, if you see a big white bird sitting on a channel marker, it's the old, old story. Boy meets gull. <laughs> Boy meets gull. He's got young ideas, all right, but his heartbeat longs to daughter. <laughs> well, now, let's see. I better call up and order a yachting cap, a blue coat with brass buttons and some navigation charts. Where's that telephone? Hello, operator. I want to talk to... Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> Hi, Mert. This is Trevor McGee. What's say? Oh, you heard about me inheriting the yacht, did you? What's say, Mert? Your brother. What makes you think he'd be a good member of my crew? He has, eh? Seven whaling expeditions, eh? Where to, Mert? Oh, out to the woodshed. <laughs> Say, give me the seagoing supply store, will you, Mert? Thanks. Oh, 1492 Columbus. Hello? Meyer Seven Seas Supply Store? Pippa McGee, the Society Yachtsman speaking. Yeah. Say, I'll be down there in a little while to lay in supplies for a two-year cruise. Huh? Yeah, that's right. And listen, put in a few barrels of good red wine. My crew will probably want some port in every sweetheart. <laughs> you ain't got any red wine? What color have you got? Deep purple. Oh, well, give me a barrel of deep purple. No, never mind. We'll get that from Don Nova. Okay, Semplemeyer. Let's have it, Don. Deep purple. The sun is sinking low behind the hill. I loved you long ago. Still, across the years, you come to me at twilight to bring me love's old thrill. When the deep purple falls over sleepy garden. And the stars begin to flicker in the sky Through the mist of a memory You wander back to me Breathing my name with a sigh In the still of the once again I hold you tight Though you're gone Your love lives on when moonlight beams And as long as my heart will be
great, Don. A beautiful song, beautifully sung. Thanks, Fibber. And incidentally, I want to congratulate you on your inheritance. Oh, thanks, Don. I, well, I, I don't want to take too much credit for it. <laughs> Any good, clean-living, red-blooded American boy could have done the same. <laughs> All he has to have is, is willpower. <laughs> An uncle who was too tight to spend a dime. <laughs> yeah, but about this world cruise of yours, you know anything about ocean navigation? Well, I certainly do. I ought to. My great-great-grandmother on my father's side was a mermaid. <laughs> a mermaid? Sure. It was a little embarrassing for Grandpa at parties, too. <laughs> Till the hoop skirt came in. <laughs> I'll never forget how she used to hold me on her lap when I was just a little baby and fan me with a fin. <laughs> how she used to coax me to eat my dinner. Come on, Fibber, dear, she'd say. Eat your nice seaweed. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. Yes, well, oh, I can shut my eyes now and see the dear old lady floundering up the garden wall. <laughs> <laughs> what did she die of, Fibber? Barnacles? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was kind of tragic about that there, Don. Us McGee's don't like to speak of that much. You see, Grandpa got hold of a copy of the Fish and Game Laws for 1852 and discovered that Grandma was too small. So he threw her back in the ocean. <laughs> uh, it's too bad she wasn't still holding you on her lap. <laughs> well, so long, Pepper. Bon voyage. Yeah. Well, better run down to Semple Myers and buy my yachting outfit. Mood Music Mills in C. <laughs> Boy, look at all them things in the window. Ropes, anchors, seasick remedies. Uh, pardon me, Captain, but could you spare a half a dollar for a poor old tripled-up sailor man? Why, certainly, shipmate. Here you are. How'd you get hurt? In a shipwreck? No, nah, laddie. I was the unfortunate victim of a nautical hotfoot, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> a nautical hotfoot? Aye. I was the boy who stood on the burning deck. <laughs> I better get inside before they take up a collection for the guys who got wrecked on the Hesperus. How do you do, sir? What can we do for you? We have a special sale today on silent foghorns for clear weather. Oh. <laughs> you got any cork anchors for people who just want to drift? <laughs> Not today, sir, but uh, would you care to see our feather-tipped harpoons for ticklish whales? <laughs> now you're joshing me. <laughs> I'm Fibber McGee, bud, the Society Yachtsman. Oh, yes, Mr. Wilcox was telling us about you. There he is now over in the water wing department. The water wing department? What? Hey, Harpo, what you doing? Oh, hello there, Fibber. Hey, what's all this about you taking a yacht on a world cruise? That's right, Harpo. You want to go along? Well, I don't know, Fibber. He'd I... be a good man for you, Mr. McGee. Show him your life-saving medal, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, no. Oh, gee whiz. It's, it's nothing. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, come on, Harpo. Don't be coy. Quit blushing and let's see the medal. Oh, oh well. All right. Here. Oh, gee. This is great, Harpo. What'd you get this for? Well, I... Oh, fudge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... 
I just happened to be there at the time, was all. Gee, all I did was see this woman's hand in the water. So I threw off my coat and dived in, that's all, just as she was going down for the third time. And you never said a word about this to us? A heroic deed like that there? Say, if you're such a hot swimmer, what was you doing here in the water wing department? Buying some water wings. I can't swim. You can't swim? Hey, now let me get this straight. If you can't swim, how did you save that woman? I got a feeling I shouldn't have asked, folks. <laughs> well, you see, it was a hot day last July. Yes, yes. What happened? I was passing a big house on Oak Street, and I heard a woman groan. I looked in the window and saw her hand in the water, a bucket of dirty, soapy water. Just as she was going down for the third time on her knees with a scrub brush. <laughs> so quick as a flash, I threw off my coat, dived in the window with a can of Johnson's glow coat, and showed her how unnecessary old-fashioned floor scrubbing was. <laughs> Boy, was she grateful. She said I'd saved her life. She gave me a bronze medal. Bronze medal? But this is a gold one. Oh, I know. She took the bronze one back and gave me a gold one when I tipped her off to how much she could save by buying glow coat in a special giant size can <laughs> containing an extra third for the same price before they were all gone. <laughs> uh, say, Joe. Yes, Mr. Wilcox? Uh, show me some of those water wings with the little propellers on them. One of these days, I'm going to get up enough nerve to wade right out in the children's end of the pool. And I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Harpo the hero, the linoleum lifeguard. <laughs> that ain't the dilliest thing. How do you do, Mr. McGee? Oh, my, how nice to see you, really. Oh, hi, Uppy. What you doing here? Oh, I'm buying a little birthday present for my brother. Oh. I'm going to send him a box of catnip. Catnip? Yes. Mm -hmm. You see, my brother is just wild about sailing, well. and he has the dearest little cat bow. <laughs> catnip for the cat bow. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing he ain't got a tramp steamer. You'd be sending him a can of mulligan. <laughs> Mulligan? Yeah, mulligan. Kind of an outdoor stew. Oh. Oh, then you know my brother. <laughs> By the way, Mrs. Uppington, my uncle just left me a beautiful mahogany 500-foot diesel engine boat in his will. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd like to go along on a world cruise with me and a few friends. Oh, how delightful. I should love it, Miss McGee. I simply adore ocean travel. The last time I crossed on the Ile de France, I had a marvelous time. Oh, that's all. And the cuisine, oh, simply heavenly. Oh, it was, eh? How was the grub? <laughs> oh, and uh, speaking of ocean voyages, Mr. McGee, yeah. Horatio and I were discussing plans for our honeymoon last night, and you know... Honeymoon? Yes, isn't it thrilling? Oh, Mr. McGee... I am to be a June bride. Oh, touch that. Oh. <laughs> oh, me, I'm such a happy girl. <laughs> Slap happy. <laughs> and, and Horatio, oh, the dear boy is simply walking on air. <laughs> <laughs> I always predicted he would, eventually. <laughs> you know what I mean. So you and Boomer are engaged. Well, I hope you'll be very happy, happy. <laughs> happy, happy. <laughs> Well, thank you, my dear. I'm sure we will. But you know, Mr. McGee, I wanted Horatio to put a ladder up against my window and carry me away in his arms like a knight of old. 
And he said the most amusing thing. <laughs> he said it reminded him of a movie he saw. What movie, Uppy? Night Must Fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's so nice to see you again, Mr. McGee. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, dear. Carry her off like a knight of old. Some knight, the gutter pup Galahad. Oh, well, who am I to poison Cupid's arrows? Oh, hi, Billy, old shipmate. Haul alongside and drop anchor. Oh, stow the gab, Bilge Rat. <laughs> Bilge Rat? Why, William, is that any way to talk to a yachtsman? Let me hear any more mutiny like that, my bucko, and I'll clap you in irons for the rest of the voyage. Listen, put your face in dry dock a minute. I want to ask you something. Why not, Billy? Just because I'm rich don't mean I'm too high-hat to talk to them in the lower walks of life. What is it, William? Would you care to squat on your quarterdeck a minute and listen to the four-note sing Umbrella Man? <laughs> so I certainly. Tell them to sing while I run home and study my navigation charts. Pipe the gangway, shipmates. Umbrella Man coming aboard. <laughs> of the South Seas, I could lay a course for the Tuamato Archipelago. Why should I go to places I can't even pronounce? (laughs) Aha! The Gilbert Islands. That ought to be simpler. Let's see now. There's the islands of Pokaku, Jilly Malahar, Bikinia, Ragnika. Say, what is this? Dad-ratted foreigners are moving in everywhere. (laughs) Come in. Oh, hi, Boomer. Good day, McGee, my very dear friend and boon companion. Want to congratulate you on your great good fortune. Since when was I a boon companion of yours, Boomer? And what's this business about you and Mrs. Uppington getting married? What? Has the old crow, er, has uh, some little bird been whispering in your ear, dear boy? But then, uh, 
Why dissimulate? Tis indeed true we have implanted our troth. You've plighted your what? We've plighted our troth. We've had avowed our mutual and enduring love. We've, well, in short, scatterbrain, I've walked the plank. <laughs> you've walked the plank, you, you fortune hunter. Yea, verily. Behold the hunter, home from the hills. <laughs> but what I wish to consult you about, my scholarly young compatriot, was in the matter of taking our honeymoon on your private yacht, which, according to Dame Rumor, is quite a hunk of a tub. What say, Commodore? I'm a licensed navigator. You're a licensed navigator. You wouldn't know port from starboard. You wrong me, my salty young seafarer. Pour me a glass of each, and I'll be only too glad to demonstrate. <laughs> That's what I thought. You couldn't steer a spoon through a cup of coffee. Let's see your license papers if you're a real navigator. Why, certainly, certainly. Very happy to. Let me see now. Where I put those navigation papers? <laughs> I have them here somewhere. Here's a lump of sugar for a policeman's horse. Always hope he'll get a toothache and kick the cop. <laughs> Combination to a bank vault in Sioux City. Pretty little community. Attended a grand opening there last week. Would have been a five grand opening, but somebody tipped them off, Grater. <laughs> Memorandum about a hotel bill in Boston signed the Richard House. Don't remember ever stopping at the Richard House. Must mean house dig. <laughs> yes, a postcard from South America from an old jailmate. Good old Spike. He went paroling down to Rio. <laughs> Tube of mustache wax helps me keep a stiff upper lip. And a short beard. Well, 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 imagine that. No navigation papers. Well, now that you got that settled, four flusher, go do your gold brick land somewhere else. I'm busy. Don't ruffle me. I was going anyway. I have to take my brother to a tree surgeon this afternoon. Very unusual case. Wooden leg with varicose veins. Well, good day, poop dick. Take a look at them charts again. Australia, New Zealand, Society Island. Aha, the Society Island. That's the place for me. Top hats, white ties, and grass skirts. Dad Raddit, come in. Mr. McGee, my dear sir, I'm certainly glad to find you in. Remember me? Mr. Fiditch of Fiditch, 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 Fiditch. Hold it, bud. <laughs> certainly I remember you. And for handling this legacy for me, I'm your friend to the last Fiditch. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I plan to do, bud? Stock up my yacht for a long cruise. Now, please, please, will you listen to me for a moment? This is important. Maybe stop off at... Huh? What's the matter? Don't tell me something's happened to my yacht. No, no, not that. Nothing has happened oh, to Oh, boy, that's a relief. <laughs> you had me scared there for a minute, bud. Though I'm too much of a sailor at heart to get panicky at trifles. In fact, there's always been sailor's blood in the McGee family, Fiditch. Yes, Mr. Why, McGee. when I was just a little snookums, I felt a strange longing in my soul, urging me toward the sea. Urging, urging, urging. Sea Urchin McGee, I was known as in them days. Yes, See? but... Sea Urchin McGee, smartest skipper of the southern seaboard, shrewdly scanning the skies for a sight of a stormy signal to send my schooner scurrying for safety to shelter the shipyard, scooting into the swishing spray to save sinking sailors from the sinister sharks swishing silently through the salty surf of the seven seas, and the subject of sea-going sagas from sad Sardinia's sandy shore to the silken sails of Singapore. <laughs> Now, 
Oh, come, come, Mr. McGee. Let's have no more of this, uh, this nautical nonsense. What do you mean, nonsense, Fiditch? Just wait till you feel the old Billy B rolling along in the Gulf Stream. Why, you'll want to spend the rest of your life aboard my boat. But, my dear sir, this is all a horrible mistake. And I freely confess my mistake. Huh? What? Mistake? What you mean? I mean the Billy B. Huh? That was a typographical error in the will, McGee. What? You mean Uncle Tyke didn't leave me his boat? No, he left you his goat. We want to thank our special guest, Billy B., for appearing on our show tonight. <laughs> Come over here, Billy, and take a bow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I ever done to Uncle Tyke that he should give you to me, but... Hey, wait a minute. Well, <laughs> I'll say this for the old boy. At least he didn't cut me off without a cent. <laughs> Good night, folks. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's X-1, followed by our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.